Welcome to another edition. Uh, welcome to another edition of Global Wrestling Podcast Interviews. To, today, it's an honor and a privilege to have a wrestle, a wrestler that's of his legacy, a wrestler, a teacher. A teacher of a lot of wrestlers that are now superstars in the industry of professional wrestling. Today, Global Wrestling Podcast interviews with Mr. Rudy Boy Gonzalez. How are you, sir? Doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks to the Lord. Well, Mr. Rudy Boy, let's go real quick for what we came here for. We have this wonderful interview. Well, Mr. Rudy Boy, when you began in the industry of professional wrestling? When did I start? Yes. Uh, my first day was January 2nd, 1982 in San Antonio, Texas. Who taught you how to wrestle? Um, so when I started, there wasn't really any wrestling schools like there is now. Uh, there was a place here in San Antonio uh, ran by Joe Blanchard. And uh, so I actually came to train for maybe a couple of weeks before I go back to school. And uh, so a, a couple of weeks turned into 40 years. <laughs> and... Uh, so there wasn't, you know, I, I can't say I was trained by any one person. Uh, the way that the way it worked out was different guys would ask me to get in the ring to, to try stuff. And uh, so some of those guys were uh, uh, Tully Blanchard and Manny Fernandez and, and uh, Dick Slater and uh, Chavo Guerrero. And I mean, just a lot of different guys. And uh, Eddie Mansfield, and I mean, just a lot of different guys. And so I learned a little bit from each guy. And then you also learned back then from just watching matches. And uh, and back then, Joe Blanchard had a lot of guys that would come through here that that you could watch and and learn from. So I was I tell everybody I was blessed because I came in at a good time. Um, actually, it was like the end of the times when. The stuff you know, stuff was like that where uh, you could learn from guys like that because then the, t the 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 territory started ending, and then independent wrestling came into play, and it's a whole different it's a whole different world now. Mm -hmm. That means that you started at Southwest Championship Wrestling, right? Right. What or who? motivate you to become a professional wrestler? Just different people. Um, uh, Telly Blanchard, I guess. Uh, Chavo Guerrero, he was always very nice to me and stuff. I mean, just different people. I can't say anybody in particular, one person, but a lot of different people just always gave me their input and, and uh, positive energy, I guess you could say. And... Uh, you know, and, and that's what kept me going along, you know, as, as, uh, as the years went by. How long have you been in the business? So, uh, January will be 40 years. 
40 years. Do you remember your first match? My first match was um, before before uh, the show started. My job was to be the bell the bell ringer guy, the guy that rang the bell. And uh, so before the match started, Al this guy Al Perez walked up and he said, "We need you in the back." And so he took me to the back, and somebody didn't show up, so he needed somebody. And so then um, uh, they put my first match was. Myself and a guy named Manuel Villalobos against the Sheep Herders. And uh, it was probably about a five-minute match, but it seemed sometimes it seemed like two minutes. Sometimes it seemed like five hours. It just, it just when I think about it, sometimes it, 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 the time went by so fast. And then other times it seemed like that match lasted forever. <laughs> okay, Gran Zacaria, he's a manager right here in Puerto Rico. He say, hey, he say hi. How you doing? Do you remember? Yes. Jiggy Star is there right now. Do you know who that is? Of course, I interview him. I interview him. Good man, good man, very good man. Yes. Good yeah. When I interview him, he didn't. When I told him that he was a former junior heavyweight champion at Southwest Championship Wrestling, a former tag team champion, he's like, "When I was a champion, you weren't even born." I'm like, "If you read." That's what you get. Yep. Yep. All right. I asked you already who was your first opponent. Who was your first opponent? Because I asked you who was your first match, but who was your first op opponent? That was it. The, the Sheep Herders. Um, the Sheep Herders? But my first one-on-one -on -one match was, um, was a guy named Bob Garcia. And... Um, So they had matches, and if you were if you were okay, if you if you did a good job, if you did what you're supposed to do, they'd put you in the opening match of different shows. But you had to be able to do what they asked you to. And uh, Bob wasn't bad. I wasn't bad. I was horrible, as a matter of fact. But they gave me a chance. So my first match was with Bob Garcia. I can't remember what town it was, but my first actual one-on-one -on -one match was against a guy named Bob Garcia. How was your experience that night? Um, nervous. I didn't know. You know like I said, I didn't. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't. I, you know, I had no idea what to expect. But thank God, uh, the referee, his name was Juan Reynosa. He helped us get through that match uh, tremendously. So I mean, and he talked us what we needed to do and how to do this and how to do that and, and how to react. And so it was, I was nervous, but he calmed me down very much. How much did you earn that night? 30, $35. Much? Finally, <laughs> finally, you're the first wrestler that I interview, that I asked this question that said that, He got. He earned something that they pay him something. To tell the truth, all the wrestlers that I interviewed told me that usually promoters told them, "Thank you very much. Good luck." I guess one or two that said that they gave him a 
gas money, but you're the first wrestler that told me that they paid him something in their first match. I worked for a guy named Joe Blanchard. He was a promoter, and he was very fair. He was very good to me. He took care of me. Uh, and back back then, also, this is the '80s. There was the, a commission in in, the, in Texas, and so the state law said you had to pay at least twenty-five dollars. So everybody got twenty-five dollars when we did TV, um, but. If he could, he would pay you more. Uh, if he thought you earned it, if he thought you deserved it, if he thought you worked for it, if he thought you, he would he would pay you more. So he paid he paid me my first payday was thirty five dollars. Now that we're talking of Joe Blanchard, do you you think that if Joe Blanchard would be alive, you think he would be proud of Tully and Tessa? Oh, by all means. The, uh, especially tessa but yes uh, i mean she's doing very well and and uh i mean he you know he was always proud of telly uh when he was alive and telly was doing you know his thing down here in san, in, in san antonio in texas and then he went to north carolina and wherever whatever he did joe joe was always proud of telly and i guess if he would be alive of course he would be proud of tessa sure to me to me one of the tough and one of the top female wrestlers from around the world. Hard worker, hard. I I, were, I saw her train uh, a, a few weeks ago, and uh, training other people, and she did a great job. She's a she's a she's 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 very good. Where do you see Tessa Blanchard? In what company do you see Tessa Blanchard? What was that again? In what company? You know that Tessa, she ain't working right now. Right. Where do you see Tessa? She could go anywhere what? she wants, really. If she, I mean, if she, um, I'm not sure why she's not any, she's not uh, on a major promotion, but I'm sure if she wanted to, she could go anywhere she wants. Yes. I think so. That's true. I, it's true. She's one of, in my opinion, she's one of the top five female wrestlers from around the world. Right, I agree. And like we said in like we said in our podcast show, there's a world, there's a universe outside WWE. Right. If you know what I'm trying to say. Right. Okay. What was your what was your family's opinion? when you told them that you were going to become a professional wrestler? <laughs> you have to move out. That's what my father told me. You have to move out. Because um, I had a two-year scholarship for a junior college here in Texas. So I was going to school for free. And uh, I gave it up. I... I, I uh, I didn't go back to school, so my father one day said, uh, are you still going to school? And I said, uh, no, remember I went to go work out one time with the wrestling guys and stuff? And he said, yeah. I said, uh, I work for Southwest Wrestling now. And he said, so what are you going to do? And I said, I think I'm going to try wrestling for a little while. 
And um, he said, uh, all right, you're going to have to move out. And I said, what? And he said, well, if you're not going to go to school and you're going to start working uh, and they're paying you good money, I guess you I guess you can take care of yourself. And uh, so I moved out within two or three weeks. I moved out. And, and uh, now I'm older. I understand where he was coming from. Um, but back then, I'm 18 years old. And I'm thinking to myself, Dad, what are you doing? But, you know, I understand now. He gave you a lesson. Yes, yes. You know, Hispanic, Spanish parents, they're all the same. I remember, I tell my kids now, they're grown up, they're, they're men already. Um, I told my kids when, I, when they were younger, I, used, I tell them, when I was 18 years old, you know what was my present? And he, they were like, what? They slapped the living taste out of me. <laughs> and they're like, why? Because I told my dad like that I was an old man. I was young. I wasn't young anymore. And he's like, okay, you're old enough. That means you're old enough to be the slap. I'm like, what you trying to say? He's like, I'm going to tell you two things. Number one, inside the door, there are my rules. Outside the door, you can do whatever you want. And my kids were like, what do you do? I'm like, nothing. What could I do? Nothing. Yeah. And I believe you because I live it. I know what you try to say. <laughs> okay, do you do you any family related to professional wrestling? None of your family members? And that's what makes it so hard when I started was uh, you had to know somebody, you had to be related to somebody, you had to have some kind of connection to yes. the wrestling business, and I didn't have nothing. So my football coach was a friend with Joe Blanchard, and that's how uh, that's how I got in. That's how I started training with them. So uh, that was it. You know, uh, if it wasn't for my football coach, I wouldn't have gotten to, I wouldn't have gotten to pro wrestling. I had no idea how to get into it anyway. What is what is your relationship, or let's put it this way: uh, What fans mean to you? The wrestling fans. Yes. What do they mean to you? Um, they pay our bills. <laughs> I mean, uh, you 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 know. In, in all honesty, I enjoy the wrestling fans. Uh, I like it when they come out to the shows and they participate in the matches. Uh, they boo the bad guys and they cheer the good guys and all that stuff. Um, what I don't like about the wrestling fans is that, especially now, uh, they're opinionated. They they feel like they have an opinion on how everything should be and what's right and what's wrong and, and all that stuff. And, and uh, I feel like they don't 
If you don't like the product, then don't watch it. Uh, if you like it, then watch it, support it. But if you have, if all your, I see guys on the internet that just complain about every Monday Night Raw, how horrible it is, how how bad, and the writing, and blah blah blah. Okay, then don't watch it. You know, that's it. I, if I don't, if I don't like something, I'm not gonna watch it no more. Uh, but to me, I mean, the fans are very important in our longevity. Uh, we we do have to meet them in the middle. What works and what doesn't work. It, everything we do isn't isn't right 100% of the time. Uh, and so, yeah, there's some feeling around. There's some tweaking here and there. But some fans are just <laughs> they're just brutal. They're just you know. And and I go online on Mon- on uh, Monday nights or, or Tuesday mornings. And man, or or AEW. I mean, I don't I don't really watch AEW too much because I'm not really a big fan of the product. But it's a company, and they have a following. They have a fan base. They have people watching them. They they're paying wrestlers. They're there's guys that are feeding their families with that money. So uh, it's not really a bad thing. But like I said, my preference is something else. So I don't. I don't watch it. Doesn't mean I don't support it. I of course support it, but I don't watch it. And that's how I feel like that's how the fans should take it. Is you don't have to support it. You don't have to watch it. But you know, I mean, don't don't kill it. Don't bash the product. Don't kill everybody. And there, you know, at the end of the day, those those people are. At the end of the day, those people are making a living, and they're trying to support their families or the themselves. So I mean, it's not it's not the wrestling fans' position to tell them how to do that. Again, if you like the product, great. If you don't like it, then don't watch it. And if enough people don't watch it, then the promotion will change the way they do stuff. Right in Puerto Rico, uh, one of the guys from the page says that Mr. Ben Wolf says, "Hello, Jesus and Rudy." Hello, Mr. Ben Wolf. How are you, sir? Um, one of the guys from Global Wrestling Podcast says that there's a universe outside WWE. There's a bunch of companies outside WWE. Not only the major companies, but sometimes, to tell the truth, independent wrestling, it's better that the self-proclaimed major leagues of professional wrestling. I agree. And I'm not I'm not talking about MLW. I'm talking about the big companies. You know what I'm trying to say. Right. And I agree. Because the bigger companies, they have their uh, agenda. They have their a program that they want to produce. They, they already know how they want to produce. They already know what they want. And so they basically tell their talent what they want to see or what they have to do. Independent wrestling, like if, for instance, for my show, I just tell the guys, go out there and give me a good match. Do whatever you want to do. Don't, you know, of course, there's things they can't do, but I just tell them, go out there, have a good match, get the fans involved. Um, and, and, and I want the fans to be, I want the fans to go home happy. So um, a lot of times when you give the talent, that that freedom you're going to produce something completely different than what you're going to see on tv that's true you know like like right now i know that you're half mexican right right 
you know, in Mexico, you know what's El Martinete? Martinete is the power driver. Right. You know, in Mexico, it's an illegal move. Right. How are you going to tell a wrestler not to do that? How could you tell, let's say, Bob Sweeten or Eric Embrick? That was their finisher. How are you going to tell them if they go down to Mexico, you can't do the power drive? So they don't go to Mexico. And if they, I mean, you have to know. Um, so, okay. So the other day I had a show and I'm, I'm old school. Old I know. School, old school rules. So the other day I had a show and the guys were fighting and one guy threw the other guy over the top rope. That's a disqualification. Yeah, exactly. And so ding, 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 ding. I rang the bell and the guy in the ring looked at me like, and I said, hey, I got the microphone. I said, you've been disqualified. I'm sorry. And that was it. And so in the back, the guy said, I didn't know. I'm like, dude, I run old school rules. Over top rope is a DQ. You know, that's just how it is. Because why well, didn't know? I said, well, now you know. You know, <laughs> you know it's, I mean, you can't, you can't, if you, if you speed through the through school zone, and the cop pulls you over and he says he's going to give you a ticket. You can't say, well, I didn't know. And then he says, oh, well, you didn't know? Okay, we'll keep going then. You, I mean, now you now you know. So uh, so it was a lesson learned, you know. But the rules are what makes – the rules are what helps engage the fans and also can be used as a tool by the talent to engage the fans into your match. And another thing, if you don't know the rules, there's some. It's simple. Ask for them. Ask what are the rules. It's right. something simple. Right. Those are only four words that you're gonna say. What are the rules? Right. Simple. It's like you're saying it. If you don't know the traffic rules, and if you do something in the cup catch you you're not going to tell him well i didn't know it right i know i know what you're trying to say okay mr gonzalez which one has been the top moment or your best moment in your professional wrestling career the tough moment no your top your oh, top, top, the one that, top yes um, there's been several. Uh, you could say it, right? I don't have no time limit. Okay, there will there been several. So, for instance, one time I had a match with uh, well, my first match that was one of my top moments because it was my first match, I had no idea what I was doing, and <laughs> uh, you know, I was just going by you know, uh, listening to different people say stuff, and when I went to the back, uh you know, Luke Williams was the booker and Jonathan Boyd was the, you know, Luke Williams, Jonathan Boyd were the bookers and they both, they both could have said, man, you were horrible. Get out of here. or whatever. But they both said, you did a good job. And for someone that's never done that before or whatever, and that's his first match, that's, you know, and that's for anybody. If someone, you know, they, they, they tell you something like that, that's like a huge load off your shoulders because, you don't know what you're doing, and you're you're going in there and uh, blind basically. And uh, when you come to the back, you can get chewed out, you can get yelled at, you can 
get a whole lot of different things can happen. And when you come to the back and they say, Hey man, you did good. You did a good job. You, you really, you weren't bad. And that just like, that means, a, that means a world to a lot of guys in their first match. Um, along the same lines, I, a few years later, I had a match with Buddy Roberts, who was, uh, one of the Freebirds. And, uh, so Buddy Roberts, man, he, uh, he made me look like a million bucks. He, you know, he took this young kid who didn't know, again, didn't know what the hell he was doing and just, just talk me through the match and do this and do that and slow down and take it easy and take a deep breath, kid, and, you know, stuff like that. And in, when we go to, when we went to the back, he pulled me to the side and he said, uh, you're, you're very good. You can listen very well. And that's, that's those are good qualities. So keep it up. Uh, you know, stuff like that is what, you know, I would call my top moments. Um, uh, wrestling against, you know, at one, at one time later on, I was training guys for Shawn Michaels. And the first match that Brian Kendrick had was against me. And uh, so he was nervous. He was, he didn't know what to expect. And I completely understood because I was there too. And uh, so... I said, you know, do whatever you want to do, man. Just, just relax and have a good time. So we went out there and bam, 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 bam. It's on video. It's on YouTube. And he came to the bag and I was so proud of him because he just, he didn't choke. He didn't uh, stand there and look at me like, you know, what's that, you know, what's the next thing? He just kept going and, and he made some mistakes. He made plenty of mistakes, but he just kept the match going. He stayed, he didn't panic. He didn't get, um, uh, you know, uh, deer in the headlights look. He, he just kept going. And when we went to the back, I gave him a hug, man. I'm like, man, I love you very much. And he said, oh, coach, that means a lot. I said, you did well, man. You did very, very good. I'm so proud of you. And uh, so that's another, you know, that's what one of my students that I trained. Uh, and then I saw the product of, of my training, of, of the guy that I trained. I saw what, what uh, you know, what, what's come out of that. Uh, last night I had a match with a guy. And uh, uh, same thing. He was, you know, he was old. He's older. And uh, uh, even though he was trying not to, I could see he was a little uneasy and a little nervous. And, uh, you know, and I just kept telling him, just relax, man. Just listen to me. Just relax. Just like guys told me years ago. Now I'm telling him. And uh, so we did our match. It's on, it's, it's on, it's on, um, it's on, uh, it's, Facebook. It's now. on YouTube. Okay. And, you, and, and YouTube. Yeah. And, and, uh, he did well, man. He did good. And I was proud of him and shook his hand afterwards. And, uh, you know, I hope he goes on. I hope he learns something from it. I hope he, he carries whatever that we did last night. He carries it with him to the next match and just keeps getting better and better and better. Okay. From your top moment, we're going to go to your worst moment of your career. <laughs> worst moment. Um, my son was born, and I was out of town wrestling. And he wasn't due for like two more weeks or something. But uh, when I left... His mom said, "I'm not really, I'm really not feeling good. You really have to, you really have to go." And I said, "Yeah, you know, I have to, you know, I have to wrestle." And when I came back, she wasn't home. And uh, 
it turned out she had she had labor pain that took her to the hospital and she had my son and i'm in another i'm in i'm, I'm 200 miles away wrestling and uh i made 10 bucks that night <laughs> so i uh yes i gave i up, understand yeah i gave up being able to see my son being born and as it for turned 10 out it, yeah for ten dollars right and as it turned out there were complications when he was when he was born also he he uh he almost died so uh uh, so I I, I I think about it, man. You know, I left. You know, I left for ten dollars, and I missed out on this stuff, and it bothers me still. But you know, it, lesson learned. When I was a kid, they told me, my dad told me, that I was going to learn by my my by my mistakes. Right. And I did. Trust me that I did. I'm still learning. How do you feel better as a fan favorite or a rule breaker? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I firmly believe that the role you play as a wrestler is who you are. Turned up times 10. So, uh, Away from wrestling, I can be a nice guy, but I can also be rude. I can be uh, inconsiderate. I, I, I know what my flaws are. So it's hard for me to go out into the crowd, yay, woohoo, you know, that type of stuff with kids and stuff because that's really not me. That's that's not me. I can be a nice guy if I had, if, if, you know, if, um, if you have to. If I have to, yeah. But uh, mainly what I feel more, more comfortable with is being a heel, is being a bad guy. Okay. What's been the thing or the moment that has surprised you the most or that has shocked you the most in the sport of professional wrestling? The moment that surprised me the most, yes, or shock you the most. Uh, well, that's a good question. Maybe in the beginning, uh, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. Maybe in the beginning of my career, a lot of things shocked me or surprised me because I was new to to, to pro wrestling, to the biz, wrestling business. But now, after 40 years, nothing shocks me no more. Nothing, nothing surprises me no more because I've just I've seen so much, and I've seen different things happen and stuff like that. So it's hard, you know. Uh, but in the in the early days, I guess uh, I guess uh, when uh, when uh, David Von Erich passed away when Gino Hernandez passed away because I knew Gino. I, I didn't know him personally like very well, but I knew him because he worked for Joe Blandon for a little while. And uh, 
I was able to talk to him here and there, you know, uh, before shows, whatever. And then he went to world-class wrestling. And then one day, uh, somebody called me and said, hey, Gino Hernandez died. And uh, that, you know, that kind of took me back because that was the first, really the first wrestler that I knew, that I actually knew that passed away from wrestling. Like David Von Erich passed away before him, but I didn't know David Von Erich. I didn't know David Von Erich at all. But Gino, I knew, I shook his hand, uh, talked with him, you know, there was a connection there. So yeah, when, I, when the, the first time I heard that, that that I I would say that was that was probably it. But as you know, as time has gone by, that happened. You know, it, it unfortunately that that happens quite often. Is uh, a lot of these younger guys were were, were, uh, mm-hmm. were passing away and stuff early. Yes. Sadly. Look at the Venere clan. Right. Okay, Carlos Hernandez says, "Hello, Jisu and Rudy. He's um he's a professional wrestler right here in Puerto Rico. His name is Jay Styles." Okay. Well, good luck to you, okay. Jay Styles. Hopefully, you'll have a good little career going. Okay. Now I want you to tell the fans the championships. And the achievements that you had earned, because a lot of people say, "No, that you want it. No, you didn't want it. You earned it. You earned that championship. You earned that award. You didn't want it. You earned it." Okay, I want you to tell the fans and tell me all the belts. Well, the belt, the championship that you had earned, that you had won, and the achievements and the awards you had won during your career? So uh, at one point, I was the Texas Junior Heavyweight Champion. Uh, a group started, uh, like, a, like a group of wrestlers started uh, here in Texas, and they had uh, like a, they were trying to start a union. And uh, so one, they, they uh, elected me as the president, and as the president, they also elected me as the first junior heavyweight champion for this group. Uh, I didn't ask them for it, but for whatever reason, they thought I deserved to be the first guy or whatever. Uh, and so the way I saw that was, even though some of those guys I really didn't know, because I didn't know them that well, uh, they had enough respect for me uh, to put that uh, label on me. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I mean, like I said, it wasn't a lot of the guys I weren't, I wasn't friends with. Uh, we just wrestled together. We just worked different promotions together. Some guys, I didn't even know who they were because there were different promotions involved in this group. Uh, what, was the champ- what was the championship that I won? Well, that's don't really win anything in, in this you know you really don't win uh somebody you know how you know how it is it, it, so yes. I, I really can't answer that one um <laughs> but, but you uh, had you had held championships through your yeah, career I was, I was the okay so i was the tag team champion in Shawn michaels wrestling promotion uh, and the tv champion for his promotion simply because 
uh, I was also a lot of those guys. I was also their trainer, so I was helping them along and directing them, and and you know, uh, in their matches and stuff like that. And so instead of having just a regular match, we you know we 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 had a television championship belt, and so we had something to fight for now, you know. Uh, so I mean, you know, but I I, I didn't really. I'm not gonna say I won it. I got I I was the television champion or the tag team champion because of, I think because of my position in the company, and uh, you know, Sean knew that uh, I wasn't gonna complain about losing the belt or you know I don't get no title matches or nothing like that. Uh, I just I was just there to work and and. Uh, Make you know, make the promotion as best as I could. That's all I ever really do is try and make the promotion as best as I can. You know, here in the podcast, when we do our shows, one of the things that we criticized from the territory days was that that wrestlers such as, and I'm gonna say it just like that, Vern Canyon, he was the AWA World Heavyweight Champion, but who was the owner of the company? Right. Yeah. Um. Right here in Puerto Rico, Carlos Colon, 20-some times universal champion. Who, who is the owner of the company? Carlos. Let's go to let's go to Florida. Eddie Graham. Right. How many times he was the Florida heavyweight champion? Right. Let's go to your own state, Texas. Double Nerys. I'm not going to say nothing else. If right. you know what I'm trying to say. No, I agree. I agree, and that, to me, that just to me that takes away from the uh, from the meaning of the championship because the fans realize, wait, he's a champion again, but he's also the owner. He's the promoter. He's the booker. He's a that means nothing because that then to me that also takes away that pulls back the curtain uh, yes. of what of what we do. You know, that's like saying um, that's like saying. Uh, Roger Goodell is the commissioner of the NFL, and he lives in, you know, New York. So every year the New York Giants are the Super Bowl champions. Make, you know. Okay. Okay, Carlos Day says, what's been your best fight and your worst fight in professional wrestling? Uh, my best fight was my, probably was – you know, there's been a couple, like my match with Buddy Roberts. That was a good match. A match I had with Bart, uh, with Black Bart. That was a good match. Uh, a match I had, and for different reasons. A match I had with Bruiser Brody. That was a good match. Uh, a match, the match I had with Brian Kendrick. That was a good match. A match I had with Brian Danielson, American Dragon. That was a good match. Uh, and for different reasons, just you know, different parts of uh, different. Uh, different uh, times of my career. Um, and then my worst match, I, I agreed to do a, I agreed to do a hardcore match with a guy here in Texas. And uh, I just didn't care. I had one of the few times that I, that I can say that uh, maybe the only time that I actually put no effort, very little effort into our match, just, one, I didn't want to get hurt. Two, um, I, you know, I, I, 
I don't do hardcore matches. I, I do not do them. And so when I got there, the guy said, hey, we got you. You're going to do this and this. And I said, um, all right. So, I mean, it's a video out there. And, and some people have played music, too, and stuff. Because you can tell I'm just not into that match at all. And, and the guy runs me into a, a truck or something. And I just, you know, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, but, you know, you learn something every day. So even though I, I put very little effort into that match, um, it's, you know, it's on the Internet now. And everybody can see this sorry match <laughs> that I was in. And, and uh, you know, it's going to live forever. And I've got to deal with that. But that was probably one of the worst matches I've ever done. Carlos says, thanks for answering all my questions. Anytime, Carlos. In your personal opinion, who you think that's been the wrestler that influenced the most? The Texan wrestler, Jeffrey Texas. Which wrestler do you think had the most influence with the fans? Texas professional wrestler that got the, the most influence with the fans. In Texas? Yes. I think the Von Erichs. Uh Carrie. Uh, I think I think they 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 play a part. I think uh, uh, Terry Funk has played a part. Um, the Guerrero family has played a part in in in, in that. Uh, and there are several people. Um, you know, everyone. They, you know, they've all they've all have their own little. Uh, niches uh, of how they've influenced the wrestling business here in Texas. Bruiser Brody uh, has played a, a huge part in in the style of Texas wrestling. Stan Hansen. Stan Hansen, right. He's another one, exactly. Yes. Yeah, let's... Uh, it's a tough question because, you know, in, San, in the San Antonio era, you know, there was Shawn Michaels. And Tully Blanchard, the Blanchers. In Denton County, there was uh, the Venerics. Right. And you name it, there was all depends from where area you were talking about. It's true. Like, yeah. It's true like, what you're trying to say. Like, Sean is a huge influence because he was one of the first small guys to to uh, to make it big in, in the time when, you know, all the guys were – Six four, six five, two eighty, two sixty, two forty. You know, Sean was a small guy, and and uh, he was able to be successful in that environment. And so, yes. because of Sean, like there's a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys in NXT, and they come from all over the country. But there's a lot of guys in NXT that have said, because of Shawn Michaels, I got into pro wrestling. There's a lot of guys here that are, that have said, because of Shawn Michaels, I got into pro wrestling. Yes, because back then. I gotta say WWF because if you talk about NWA, the only big guys, muscle guys in the NWA were the Raw Warriors, the right. Russians. Most of them were 
people like you and me. Right. But when you talk about WWE, you talk about guys like Hulk Hogan, the Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov, right, Mr. Wonderful. Two different styles, two different things. Right. And that's one of the things that I like about wrestlers such as Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, that they were not huge wrestlers, but they were hell of a kind of wrestlers. Right, right. When you step inside a square circle, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? I hope I produce the best match possible. Um, and I don't get booed out of the place. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ashamed of something you have done in professional wrestling? No. Um, I've always tried to Uh, except for that one match I spoke of, I've always tried to produce the best matches possible. Somehow, some way, some shape or form, I've always tried to produce the best matches that I, that I can. Uh, I've always tried to produce the best talent in my school that I can. Uh, so no, not, 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 not at all. Remember that we talked at the beginning of this interview about your achievements and your championships. From all the achievements and all your championships and all the things you have accomplished in the sport, what is the one that's in top of the list? Um, there, so, When you, when when you are when you have been around as long as I have, 40 years, it's hard to pin. It's hard to say one thing in particular. Um, I think I think the biggest I think the biggest thing that I've been able to do is just survive. Um, uh, you know, be relevant. Um, I guess that's my biggest accomplishment. 40 years is a long time. Yes. Uh, I've, I've never had a contract with WWE or WCW or anybody. I've never been under contract with anybody. But I've been able to still mean something um, after after all this time. So uh, I guess that I could say that would be my greatest accomplishment. Accomplishment is, sorry about that. Is uh, is is uh, is just being relevant, just still being around. Well, Mr. Gonzalez, we can't see you. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. Let me see what I can do. <laughs> can you hear me though? Yes. If you want to keep on going like that, remember, fans, our next interview will be with Ricky Santana. We're going to be 
Sin Censura with Ricky Santana. Meanwhile, we're here with Mr. Rudy Boy Gonzalez, one of the top wrestlers from Texas. He's one of the top teachers in the sport of professional wrestling. And we're going to ask you around teaching wrestlers, Orita. Okay, do you know what's ping pong? Do I what? Do you know what's ping pong? Yes. Okay. Let's play ping pong for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Fritz von Eric. All right. What do I do? Okay. Okay. You're going to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Or okay. what do you think about that wrestler that I'm going to tell you? Okay. Okay. Let's start with Fritz von Eric. Um, Promoter extraordinaire. Joe Blanchard. Promoter extraordinaire. <laughs> Manny Fernandez. Uh, tough. Gino Hernandez. Money. Kerry Von Eric. Money. Rick Flair. Uh, legend. Stan Hansen. Texas. Rooster Brody. Bad MF. The Guerreros. Who? The Guerreros. The second generation of Guerreros. That means Hector, Mando, Chavo, and Eric. Legends. Family. Rudy Boy Gonzalez. Uh, grateful. How do you describe yourself personally? I describe myself personally. I, I'm grateful. I'm thankful for where I'm at right now. Uh, I'm happy. Uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm blessed to have the family that I have. Uh, I feel very fortunate to be around the way, like I said, as long as I've been around. Uh, and I try and I try and be helpful. I try and help those younger guys. Uh, I try and on my like on my Facebook stuff. I try and post. You know, positive stuff for them um, yes. to read, and I get a lot of replies back. You know, and and and, and I'm, I'm being around as long as I have. I'm the first to say that uh, it's a tough business, and it's not getting any easier. Uh, mm -hmm. So, and I and I know the guys that are uh, that are trying to make it. I know they're struggling. I know they get frustrated. Uh, So, I mean, I try and be that guy that says, hey, just hang in there. Just keep doing what you're doing. Don't let, you know, don't don't let stuff get you down. Uh, but I'm also the guy that will say, cut your shit out. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of drama. There's a lot of uh, negativity. And, and that's going to be everywhere. And, you know, I try not to let it bring me down. I try not to let it bring other people down as well. Um, I try and I try and bring some type of uh, I'm not gonna say confrontation, but some kind of uh, 
just be honest. Like, for instance, if I don't like you, if I don't get along with you, I'm going to tell you I don't get along with you. And I'll tell you why I don't get along with you. And, and we can still do business, you know, and I've, had, I've learned through the years that that's just, you know, sometimes you just have to be that way with people to, 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 uh, to survive together, to work together. Uh, so, you know, uh, you know, I try, you know, where I'm at in my life is, is, uh, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Uh, I'm not asking for too much and, I, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to leave anything behind either. Carlos J says, where are the best fans in professional wrestling? Puerto Rico, Mexico, Japan, or United States? United States. I think. Why? States. Why? Why? Because, and this is just the way I see it, um, in Mexico, you have good guys and bad guys. In Japan, well, we'll say Mexico, you have good guys and bad guys. But everyone wears a mask. So, um, to me, your facial expressions, your that type of stuff says a lot about your work. So if your mask, if your face is covered, how do people know what your reaction is? And good guys react one way, bad guys react another way. So to me, I mean, in the United States, we don't, we don't wear masks. Everything, what you see is what you get. Uh, in Japan, um, you know, guys, you know, guys do that strong style. Mm -hmm. And so who, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? I don't know. In the United States, the good guy is a lot of times the guy is getting beat up. <laughs> yes. You know? Usually it's the one that's getting beat up and in the end of the match, it's the winner. Exactly. Exactly. And so when guys are getting beat up, then they, 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 they create, they create the sympathy uh, emotion And so there's your good guy because now he's fighting back and he's struggling and you see his, you see his, his struggles, you see his, uh, his situation and, and the fans can relate to that. You really can't relate to a guy with stars across his face and his, you know, the whole time his mat, you know, his face is, you know, has a smile on it or something, or you don't see his, you don't see his face. You relate to people like the bad part about our, the bad part right now is Everybody, because of COVID, everybody has to wear a mask. And you don't know if that person is smiling at you. You don't know if that person is angry at you. You don't. You can't tell because you can't see his face. You just see their eyes. And so, and so, you don't know where you stand with that person. Um, and so, again, in Mexico, everybody wear all the guys there wear a mask. And so, you don't know what you don't know what their you know what their um, expressions are on their face. And again, to me, and this is just me, but I feel like. The way you, the way you can tell, um, they're you know where they are is is by facial expressions. You know, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Have you ever wrestled a Puerto Rican wrestler, or do you have uh, been a tag team partner with a Puerto Rican or something? Chicky Star. You were his partner or you wrestled against him? I wrestled against him. I wrestled as his partner once. And um, 
and yeah, both sides by the uh, down here in Southwest Wrestling. Yes, Mr. Mr. Laureano Colon. He's the king of professional wrestling right in Puerto Rico. Yeah, that's what they call him, the king of, of the king of wrestling. He's a good man. Which one? Who is your favorite wrestler? My favorite wrestlers are all of the guys that I train. Whether they're Brian Danielson or they're the new guy that just started yesterday. Those are my favorite guys because I know what they're going through. I know what they're, I know their struggles. Uh, I know the effort they put into doing this stuff. So I'm familiarized with them and, and uh, I can relate. Um, I deal with them every day or I, or I dealt with them every day. So those are the guys that I really pull for that I really, that I'll, that I'll say off the top of my head are my favorite wrestlers. What are your thoughts when you see one of your, one of the wrestlers that you train become a champion? I'm proud of them uh, always because, uh, you know, somebody, a promotion somewhere thought enough of that person to represent their, their company. I mean, they don't really win a belt, but somebody put them a belt on them or made them their champion because that is their face of the company. So they did something right uh, or presenting themselves or, or whatever to put themselves in that position. So when I see that, uh, I, I, you know, I make, I, I try and call the promoter and say, Hey, thank you for giving so-and-so a chance or for give, putting him in that, in that spot. Now, some guys, they, 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 uh, they do, you know, they'll, they'll make, you know, somebody their champion just for whatever reason. They're, there's no real reason behind it. They just do it. But I mean, for the most part, the guys that, that do do that, uh, it's for it's for a reason. From all the wrestlers that you train, who was the easiest one to work with? The easiest guy that I trained? Yes, the one that was the easiest one to work with uh, when you were training him. So I'll say the easiest guy was Brian Danielson because he took everything so naturally. He took everything. He, I mean, he just picked up everything quickly. Uh, another one was Brian Kendrick. Another one was Lance Cade. Another one was Paul London. Uh, I just had a guy here not, that just started in May. His name is Alfredo. He's from San Antonio, and he just picks everything up so quickly. Uh, you know, I mean, those, those are the easy guys. Uh, but sometimes the hard guys also are the ones that are that are that are fun to deal with because you they, they struggle, and then um, as time goes by, you see them develop, and the light bulb turns on in their head, and they start learning stuff and. When in the beginning they didn't they had no okay I already asked you who were the easiest one to work with who were the toughest one to work with there's a few, <laughs> there's a few. um there's there, 
there's a few, um, you know, and it's just, you know, wrestling is so subjective. So guys look at stuff. I'm not going to mention any names, but guys just look at stuff. It's like, well, that's the way I want to do it. And, and that's fine. I'm just giving you my, I'm, I'm trying to pass on my experience to you. Uh, and some guys don't see it that way. They just, you know, they just want to do things the way they want to do. And there's been a few. There's, there's, you know, uh, there's been a few guys out there. Remember that I told you that I asked you a couple of minutes ago, who was your favorite wrestler? Right. Now I'm going to ask you, who is the wrestler that you don't like, but you don't like at all? I, I don't have any, honestly, I don't have any uh, wrestlers that I don't like because, simply because, uh, like I said earlier, is uh, we're all in the same boat. We're all, you know, even even though Brian Danielson is in WWE uh, and he's doing well, uh, the guys that I'm training, the guy or the guys that trained at other schools or, or wherever, they're going through the same things that you know, the top guys go to. And so, I mean, I may not get along with certain people, but uh, it doesn't mean that I don't respect the path they're taking uh, or the struggles that they're going through. So I really don't have anybody that, I, I, that I'm going to say, I don't like that guy you know, or anything like that. But, uh, you know, because I, I understand and I, and I appreciate, you know, work and the effort they're putting through. Couple of minutes ago you told me your thoughts when Gino Hernandez passed away. Now I want you to tell me your thoughts when Lance K passes passed away. Because you did train him. Lance was like uh, a son. Uh, he came in the first day, and uh, started from scratch. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Hold on. There's somewhere. Eyes down the road. Anyway, um, and you know he struggled. He did. He did well, but he struggled like everybody else. Um, and he had some issues, and uh, he had some personal issues. He loved wrestling. Lance, Lance uh, loved the wrestling business. He loved, you know, talking with Hunter and Sean and all the guys that were. You know that that were helping him with his matches and stuff. He'd call me after some pay per view matches and ask me what I thought if I saw them or not. Um, he loved wrestling, um, but he had some some personal issues that were really affecting him. And uh, so when I found out, you know, I got called at like nine o'clock in the morning. It was, I believe, August 13th, and uh, it was a Friday. And, you know, when you first hear stuff, 
you don't always get exactly what happened. So somebody told me that they found Lance in a hotel in Florida and he had passed away. Um, and so my thought was, what's he doing at a hotel in Florida? And uh, you know, what obviously what happened? And then I got a couple more phone calls and then I was told he was at his father's house here in San Antonio. And so uh, either way, you know, he was gone and uh, uh, I cried, you know, I'm not, you know, no, no, no denying it uh, for a long time uh, just because he had so much potential and he was a good kid and, uh, you know, just, it was just a waste, a waste of life um, with what was going on and how it all played out and stuff. And, it could have easily ended. It didn't have to. It didn't have to end that way. So um, yeah, I <laughs> I cried, you know, um, and it still hurts. Right here in the podcast, when we talk about landscape, we compare him with Gino Hernandez, a man. There were two. There were two men with potential to carry any company from around the world. Right. And I'm going to say it like this. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. So I'm going to say it, but I don't want it to sound wrong. They were doing things wrong. They thought they were doing it right. But at the end of it, life don't play. And it's a shame because both of them have potential to be heavyweight champion of the world in any company. Right. I think the only thing is, I think Lance and Gino's situations were different. Gino, Gino was enjoying life. That was his lifestyle. That was, yes. you know, he was into, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what exactly what happened to him. I just know the rumors and stuff like that. Uh, he lived that lifestyle. He enjoyed it. He loved wrestling. He enjoyed it. Uh, you know, if you, if you listen to stories, he got involved with the wrong people and, and, uh, it all caught up with him. Lance loved wrestling. Um, the the uh, the uh, situation that he was in, he didn't ask for it. He didn't love it. He didn't, you know. And he and he struggled. He struggled with it. Gino didn't struggle with his situation. He enjoyed it. He embraced it. Yes, back in the days, wrestlers like Gino, Tully, Ric Flair, they enjoyed because yeah. when Ric Flair used to say. Jet flying limousine. He used to drive in limousines with right. the four horsemen. He used to be in jet flying. They enjoy life. When right. I talk about the first horsemen, I'm talking about the first, the, the founding fathers, Tully, Ollie NR, and of course, Ric Flair. Right. And. Back in the day, wrestlers like Barry Wyndham, Gino, they enjoyed their lifestyle. 
the road warriors, they used to say that they enjoy what they were doing outside the square circle. Sure. And now, and now that I hear you talking about Gino, and I go back and I'm like, well, now that Mr. Gonzalez telling me that, I remember when the horseman used to say that, Gino used to say that in his interviews, the role warriors used to say that, that what I'm trying to say is that back in the day, the wrestlers enjoy the business. Right. Well, the sport, because back then it was a sport. And you know, if it wouldn't be for the steroids issue, as today, it wouldn't be still considered a sport, if you know what I'm trying to say. No, I, I get you completely. And that, yeah, and, and back in, when we were younger, wrestling, you were looked at, if, when, you know, once you hit a certain level, you were looked at as a rock star. You were, you know, you, you were just like Bon Jovi, or you were just like Kiss, or, or whatever. Gina, uh, Tully used to tell me they would walk through the, to the uh, airport, and nobody would say nothing to them. But he, would, you know, if they looked at somebody, they would put up the four fingers, you know. Yes. You know, and that that told you know that, and it was guys in business suits, it was guys in shorts, it was guys. It, 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 there was no, it, there wasn't no, uh, there wasn't no uh, lines of you know certain certain type of people or certain you know, uh, you know upper class, lower class, or anything. It was across the board. Um, Lance again. So Lance, on the other hand, Lance worked for a big company and he was on top of the world. But Lance was also a family guy. He he enjoyed yes. it, and that's that that was the struggle was uh, being with his kids and and just having a good home. You know, uh, Rick Flair. You know, he's very honest, and he was never there for his. He said it. He said it. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yes, he said it. He said that he wasn't there for his kids. Yeah. And and to tell the truth, seeing David read before he passes away, and seeing now Ashley doing the same thing their father used to do. Well, I'm like, well, how how in the world? Rick Flair wasn't there for them, like he said. And look at them. They're doing the same thing that their father used to do. That are was the same doing, thing that... Are, are they doing the same thing? Well, Charlotte, actually... Charlotte, well, Charlotte... She has no kids. Right? Well, no. So, well, Charlotte, yes, she got one kid. Does she? Yes. I'm not aware of that. But I mean it's she got she got a kid um in a previous relationship. Okay. But you know, Reed, he passed away on Japan, he didn't have no kids. And right. David, to tell the truth, I don't know if he's a family man, but I know that he traveled with WCW. He even was the the intercontinental champion right here in IWA Puerto Rico. So I don't know if David got kids, but Charlotte. She got a, a a son. Once, once I, once I had, once I had kids, my my stuff changed quite a bit. I still did some goofy stuff here and there, but not as much as before. Uh, but I mean, and but I was never at the Ric Flair level, though. I was never at the top. <laughs> I was never at that level. So 
uh, when, you know, when we would do shows and stuff, the four horsemen would go to the high class restaurants and the big clubs and stuff. And I would go to the 7 Eleven and buy a six pack of beer. <laughs> Remember? Oh, that means, man. Well, they were drinking champagne. You were drinking. I, I was drinking Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> and they were drinking champagne. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a different deal. And, and, uh, you know, like I said, Lance, his, his, uh, you know, his situation was a little bit different than, than Rick Flair's and those guys. Uh, and that was the struggle he was dealing with was he loved being on the road and he loved being with his family, but there were issues at home that he had to deal with. And, and that's, that's unfortunately, that's how he dealt with them was by, uh, by, uh, medication. What he did. Yes. Yeah. You know, that's the same thing when you talk about the Van Eric family. Exactly. When you talk exactly. about the Van Eric family. I understand David, Dave, um, David, Mike, and the other one. I forgot his name right now. Chris. Chris. I understand Chris because he was short. Right. I understand David and Mike because of the pressure they were having. Right. But I understand Kerry. Because Kerry did what he did way after the other ones did to me. Kevin or Kerry? Well, Kerry, Kerry. Kevin's still around. Yeah, Kerry. Kerry is the only one. Uh, Kevin's the only one that, that looks like it, he did it right. <laughs> yes. You yes, know, I mean, and he probably, Kevin probably learned by watching the other boys, you know, uh, what, what they, yes, you know, um, Carrie, when you mentioned Carrie, man, Carrie was like a rock star. He was, uh, out of all the guys, he was, um, he was just over the top, uh, good. I mean, he was, he had the looks, he had the charisma, he had. Uh, every everything you know, he would. He got the physique. It, yeah, everything. Yeah, and uh, you know, some guys. You know, I'm not. I'm not gonna say just the Von Erichs, but some guys. They put them. I, I feel like they put themselves in that position where they're so high up the the. They're so high up the ladder that they can't they can't figure out a way to get themselves down, and. They put their own. They put pressure on their own selves. Uh, I think what happened with Kerry was he had. Kerry was just like everybody else, though. He had. I think he got. I think he got caught at the airport, smoked with, with weed or something. And um, right. The reason that Kerry used to have to have um, used to drink painkillers, he got amputated in one of his feet. Right. 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 Mm -hmm. I don't. I forgot it was his left or his right foot. I don't remember, but that, I, that's, but that's fine. And he used to drink pills, and I read a lot, right? Because to do this, what I'm I'm doing right now with you, I got to read. And one of the stories that I read from Kerry is that wrestlers used to look at him real weird because he used to take a bath with his boots on, right? Because they didn't, and, they didn't know. They didn't know what, why. They, 
that if you if I went if I went to go take a shower, hey man, I'll be right back, and I had my clothes on, you would think I was <laughs> the same thing also. But and the and the thing was that no one ever told anybody. They never told anybody that Carrie that got Carrie, an amputated foot. Right, yes. got an amputated foot. If he would have told people, hey man, my foot's been cut off. People would have looked at him way different, like, and not in a bad way. It was like this guy has an amputated foot, and he's still able to perform. He's still able to travel. He'll still able to. And I don't think, I don't think Carrie or any or any of the people that gave him that, that uh, the people that gave him that uh, idea to hide that, put that into any kind of consideration. Uh, I don't. When I heard when I heard about it, I. Immediately, when I thought when I when I heard that he had he had his foot amputated, I immediately thought about all the matches he had done. And yes, you, you never knew. That's that's, that's what I, that's incredible. that's what I thought. This, that was that's what I thought. Another thing, he won the NWA championship, but the four of the vectors of the NWA, he wasn't going to be the champion. The champion was going to be David. Right. So, and. And that's what I mean is is guys put themselves so far up, so high up the pedestal, so high up the ladder that now they can't get down. And mm -hmm. that's on that's on them. That's you know, because to me, I mean I I've met Carrie and I traveled a little bit with him when they were in world class and he was very down to earth, very nice guy, very I mean, uh, you know, another guy when he passed away, I was sad because Man, this, I mean, he was a, a, a legitimately, and in the wrestling business, there's a lot of nice guys, but there are a lot mm -hmm. of not so nice guys. And Kerry was one of the nice guys. He was, you know, he, he was always very cool with me. Always, uh, you know, he's always talking to me. He, you know, uh, you know, he was just one of those guys. And and uh, when I, you know, when I found out, you know, when I, when I was told that he had passed away and stuff, and that his foot was amputated, like I said, I immediately thought to all the time, all the matches I saw. You just never knew. You just never knew that's that happened. That's the same thing that I thought when I saw when I read it. I'm like, how in the blue earth this man with that physique, with those talented matches that he used to have, only have one foot. Right. And the thing is that how he hit them because nobody knew it. Right. It was like a top secret for the family. Right. And I, I, like I said, I think that was a contribution to, to, uh, you know, to his death was they were so high up the pedestal. You know, they, they, they had no idea how to get down from that. Everyone looked up. Everyone looked up to the Von Erichs as as gods yes it's true i mean they were here, I in, texas, assume. here in texas they were so overrated I mean, to an extent yeah overrated but also i mean they drew money though man they yes they, it's true here in texas you can't, you can't, the texas stadium i yeah. used to see uh the cotton ball i used to see matches from world-class championship wrestling when they used to come down that aisle, girls, they used to jump the rail to kiss them. Guys used to grab them. I'm like, well, 
Fritzman Everett makes a lot of money thanks to those kids. Yeah. And I got to say, thanks to all of them. Like here, because in Texas, here in Texas, football is big. Football is huge. High school football is huge. And you don't run shows on Friday nights during football season because everyone's at the football game. You'd be crazy to run a, a, a wrestling show on a Friday night anywhere. And world-class wrestling did shows on Friday nights all year long. Yes. All year long, that building was packed. Every Friday, it was packed. Um, and they used, to have, they used to have Friday nights, their TV tapings. And then on Saturday nights, well, Saturday afternoons, they used to have their big events, their big shows. Right. A big and... Show. A big help for them was the Freebirds. Yes, but, the Freebird Von Eric Field was. Yeah. So I mean, you know, they they uh, I think a lot a lot of stuff also was just timing, the right people at the right time, the right place. Uh, everything just clicked, and it worked for them. I know that you're a wrestler trainer. But if you're going to do a project in Texas right now, what would it be and why? Uh, if I could, if I had the finances to do it, everything takes money, I, yes. would, I would hold a huge pro wrestling seminar clinic for four hours. It could be longer. It could be six hours. It could be eight hours. But at least four hours. In four hours, you can you will know the difference. And I would invite every wrestling school with their students to this. If you want to be a wrestler, you're invited also. But every wrestling trainer, every wrestling school in Texas, to this one event, and let's put all the let's put all the students against each other, not. Not in a wrestling situation, but let's see. Let's let's compare training techniques. Let's compare, mm -hmm. and 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 the reason why is because there's a lot of schools in Texas. There's a lot of schools in Texas. <laughs> they have no idea what they're doing. They have no idea what they're teaching. They have no idea. They shouldn't. There shouldn't be. They shouldn't have a wrestling school. Uh, and I and I see it all the time. I see guys. You know. I mean, I hear about it and stuff. Um, and let the students figure out maybe I'm not being taught the right way. Maybe to me, in my mind, in my, in my, um, in my, uh, opinion, there should be Booker T. There should be Rodney Mack. There should be a school up in Dallas, uh, Lamont. I can't think of his last name. And myself, obviously. <laughs> of course. And and that's it. If you want to be a pro wrestler, go to one of those go to one of those schools. If you have to move, that's part of the wrestling business. Is move. Um, there's schools everywhere. I just talked to a guy. He said, "Hey, I want to start a wrestling school." And I said, uh, "How long have you been wrestling?" He said, "I've been wrestling for 15 years. I've never heard of him." I have no idea who he is, but he's been wrestling for 15 years. 
I said, who do you work for? He said, I work for uh, ABC Wrestling and ABC Wrestling. And ABC. He does all these local indie promotions out of Houston. I said, did you ever do anything with WCW? Did you ever do anything with WWF or WWE? Or he said, nope, nope. I said, did you ever go to Mexico? He said, nope. I said, did you ever go to Japan? He said, nope. I said, uh, okay. He says, can you help me? And I said, no. <laughs> I'm not going to help guys like that, you know. Um, you can tell guys, you can tell who the guys are that were trained correctly. And you can tell guys that weren't trained correctly. And a lot of times it's just stepping the right way. Uh, it's just, the you know, you do a drill. A lot of times if you do just one drill, you can figure out who the guys are that shouldn't be shouldn't be in the ring. Um, just their technique, their you know. I mean, and that's what I think. And I know, in, and I'm only speaking about in Texas because this is only this is where I'm at all the time. But in my opinion, that's the biggest problem that we have here in Texas is just so many wrestling schools and so many guys are out there. So many guys that are that that, that say they're wrestlers and they're trainers and they're really not, you know, I mean, all you got to do today, all you have to do, you can be a trainer in Puerto Rico, man. All you got to do is go buy a ring and put it in your backyard. And there, there you go. You're, you're a trainer. Now that we're talking about training, we're talking about Puerto Rico. I don't know if you like the term, and there was right there in your residence school, there was a boy named Ray Gonzalez Jr. What happened when El Patron got there? So, my school is open to anybody. So, I received a letter from Ray Jr. And he wanted to come to the wrestling school. So, he did all the paperwork necessary and he shows up. And I knew his father was a wrestler also. So, they seen him. Yeah. So, he shows up and at the same time, when he comes to Texas, Patron was wrestling his father in Puerto Rico. Yes. And so I guess somehow or another, uh, uh, Alberto found out that he was coming to my place and he contacted one of my students Yes. and, and said, hey, if you see this guy, can you let me know? And so uh, Ray Jr. comes in and we talked and I got him in the ring and did some stuff. And then one of the guys that I, that was training with us made a phone call. I didn't know. I didn't know about it. Too. And he calls up Alberto and he says, hey, man, he's here. He's here. He's here. So we're training. We're, we're having a good time. We're doing so. It was hot that day and we're training and, and and, and all of a sudden, 
Alberto Del Rio walks in. Oh, man. I say, hey, what's going on, man? He goes, hey, Rudy, how you doing? Shook hands, talked for a second. And he says, uh, you mind if I get in the ring with these guys? And I said, yeah, sure. Sure, no problem. And so when he gets in the ring, he tells all the other guys, to leave. Step, step outside, please. Step outside. And so Ray was going to get out. And he goes, no, 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 no. You stay here. And so I thought, well, that's strange. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know. I said, that's... So I thought he was going to give Ray special training. And uh, next thing I know, man, he has he has Junior on the mat. And he has him in a hold, and he's choking him. Or he, I forgot what he was doing to him, but I was like, whoa, you know. And He was doing something in his arm. Yeah. And, he was, and so afterwards, I asked him, what was up with that? And so Patron just said, I needed to teach him a lesson. I said, all right. And he walked out. And uh, I got a phone call from, from Ray Jr.'s, from his father. You know, what happened? What's going on? What's going on with over there? And what happened to my son and stuff? And so he made his son come home. Yes. So he was only here for a couple of days. And, uh, and then I found out later that one of my guys... One of the guys that was training here snitched. I, 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 I Carlos told me the story. Carlos Colon told me the story. He was the, they was, they were doing the shows for him, and so I got the guy that snitched, and I said, "Hey, man, you're out of here. You got kicked him out, also." So uh, that happened with Ray Jr. and Patron. To tell the truth, those it has been one of the best matches in Puerto Rican wrestling history. I Ray, bet. Ray Gonzalez versus Patron. And trust me, I want to say it like this. Patron got his ass whooped that night. Well, I would tell the truth, I would have done the same thing. Tell me, if you see a wrestler of Patron's caliber doing what he did to Ray Jr., but instead of being Ray Jr., it's your son. Right. No. Tell me that you want to go inside a square circle that the night of the match and the last you're gonna throw the rule book out the, the window. I Remember, shot. I would have shot right here in Puerto Rico. There's something that says that blood is thicker than water. Yep. And trust me, Ray got patron and Patron haven't come back to Puerto Rico since then. Right. Okay. Do you think that the internet benefit wrestling or not? I think it could. I think um, it could be used to benefit the wrestling very, very much. But the guys in in the wrestling business are the ones that mess it up for everybody else. The internet is just a tool. It's just—it's like a gun. It's like a hammer. It's just—it's just a tool. We're the ones that that mistreat it. We're the ones that don't that don't use it correctly. So the internet's fine. It's a great tool to use to to promote shows and to promote talent and and people to to get people to talk across the world and stuff. Um, but it's people that it's the people that have used it and have abused it.
why do you think that the legends bring people? Well, let's, I'm going to ask you the question like it is. Why do you think that the legends, fans go see the legends and they don't go see the local stars, the, um, the new guys? Fans like to see the legends, but don't like to see the new talent. Because the fan, my opinion, because the fans don't know the new talent. They don't. If you take a match, let's say, let's say for example, you take any match that I was part or that was here last night against any match from the '80s, which would make today, which would make them legends from the '80s. There's a, a, a hundred things, a hundred elements from the '80s that are missing today. Emotion, crowd interaction, uh, just different, you know, different things. Uh, the pace of the match, the settings, uh, the movement, just, and so the fans don't, they don't really, they're not, the, the number one thing you want to try and do is get your fans to be emotionally invested in your match. If they're not emotionally invested in your match, they don't care. That means they don't care. And that's your job as the talent to somehow get your fans to care. Uh, and so today, the number one thing guys try and do when they put their matches together is what is the coolest move I can do? Mm -hmm. Yesterday, and when I say yesterday, I mean 1984, 85 or whatever. The number one thing that we worried about was to interact with the crowd. Two different things. Um, and so, the fact, even when the guys get hurt. Okay, so uh, I'll, I'll, there's, a, there's, a, there's a video. I have a, uh, I run a, a, a Facebook page called Southwest Wrestling fans page or something like that and i just posted a video not too long ago of chicky chicky star once again chicky star climbed up this pole and he the pole broke and he fell and you hear everybody go ooh, and he hit the concrete floor and he really got hurt but you hear everybody go oh and you hear people scream and, and whatever they were they were concerned um, i posted another video not too long ago of a guy that jumped on a that climbed up to the top of a 10-foot ladder and he tried to do a dive on some guys outside the ring and he missed. And the fans don't, didn't even react. He hit the concrete floor, he broke his hip and the fans didn't even react. They didn't care. The guy almost killed himself. They didn't care. <laughs> and then on what? Facebook and on, on online, then you see people post, what an idiot. How stupid yes. can he be? You know, they don't care. They don't they don't care about you. They don't care. They don't I mean no other way to put that is they just don't care. They go to see the wrestling matches today to see who's gonna do the, the coolest moves and, and that type of stuff. Or it's my friend or my cousin, my nephew, my brother, my sister, my family and stuff like that. But back then they wanted to see guys beat each other up. They wanted to see uh Bruiser Brody uh beat the heck out of Abdullah the Butcher. They wanted to see blood. They wanted to see, you know, that type of stuff. What you're trying to say is that you'd rather see 
Rick Flair versus Harley Race, or the Rock and Roll Express versus Manny Fernandez and Rick Root. Right. You'd rather see that type of matches than seeing the Jump Bucks versus yeah, yeah, yeah. SCU or seeing, let's say, Triple H versus one of the matches that I like, Triple H versus Scott Stein. You'd rather see old school wrestling than the wrestling from these days. To tell the truth, I'd rather see old school wrestling too. Yeah. So just for example right now, you just named the Rock and Roll Express against Manny Fernandez and Rick Rude, Ric Flair, Harley Race, and then there was another one. You named like three different major uh, ma matchups. Not one match, what? but they were several matches. Yes, Carlos Colon, Abdullah the Butcher. They used to yeah. sell out anywhere around the world, like exactly. Rick and Harley Race. Exactly. They used to sell out anywhere. Okay. Name one today. Name name two guys today that could do the same thing. Well, not in the eight, not right now, but late nineties. Hulk Hogan, that's Hulk Hogan, a Rick Flair. Uh, let's say I don't know who else. Okay. After Hulk Hogan and Rick Flair, these days, probably none, because. I can't put Triple H in this discussion because Triple H, he works on, he's not a professional wrestler. He's an entertainer, if you know what I'm trying to say. No, exactly, yeah. I don't know you, but I know being old school, you like professional wrestling. You don't like sports entertainment. Right. Even though I'm 40 some years old, uh, 45, I'm 45 years old, I Me like too. old school. Right. I like old school wrestling. Because it told a story, because you, you were emotionally involved in that match, because you you were part of it. You you guys do stuff today, and they don't, they're like, okay, so last night I had a match with that guy, and... Uh, the fans, it was the first time he was here, so the fans really didn't know him, but they got behind him. And all of our match was in the ring. I don't like going outside the ring. So our, our whole match was inside the ring. And we had we had the fans screaming and whatever. The next match were two guys and they went outside the ring and they ran ran each other to the ring posts and all this other stuff, whatever. And the fans barely reacted to him barely acknowledged anything and so the promoter said why did y'all's match why did your match why did y'all's match uh he said why did the fans react them more to your match than to theirs what are they doing wrong i'm like nobody took the time to get the fans involved and yes. the individuals no one no one and it doesn't, you don't have to introduce, hey, my name is Rudy Gonzalez. And I, you don't have to do that. It's, it's the stuff you do in the ring. It's the stuff you do, you know, the fans have to know. Right away, the guy put his hand up. He has a David Von Erich uh, type of gimmick. So to start the match, right away, he put his hand up like he's going to give me the claw. So right away, and I back away like, holy, oh, my God. You know, he's not going to put the claw on me. Oh, my God. So right away, we just told the story right there that this guy is going to mess me up. 
by putting the claw on my head and I'm scared of him. And so there you go. And that just took, that took less than 30 seconds to accomplish. And after that, we had the fans. Another thing, wrestlers nowadays, they want to become other wrestlers. Don't be other wrestlers, be yourself. The only wrestlers that I could say that they did good trying to be another wrestler, I got to say the Nature Boys. When I talk about the Nature Boys, I'm talking about Ric Flair, Buddy Landell, and Roger Kirby. They try to be Buddy Rogers. And they did it good. They did a good job. But nowadays, you could see, I'm going to put you an example. Carlito, Carlito Caribbean Cool. You know, everybody, when he first went to WWE, there's a lot of wrestlers that want to be with their head, with hair, all the way up here because Carlito did it. Right. Hey, don't be Carlito, be yourself. Right. When Steve Austin got hot, everybody shaved their heads. Yes. Everybody wanted to shoot the finger. Everybody wanted to drink a beer. Everybody wanted to be, you know, like Stone Cold. I, like right in Puerto Rico. Everybody wanted to everybody wanted to talk like Invader number one or Carlos Colon. And then everybody wanted to talk like Ray Gonzalez. Everybody wanted to be cool like Ray. Hello, you're not Ray Gonzalez. You're Chencho Caricoltao. You got to be Chencho Caricoltao. You can't be Ray Gonzalez. There's only one Ray. And nowadays, the kids that are coming up don't understand that part of the business, that you got to be yourself. You can't be another wrestler because there's only one of each kind. Well, that's because, back to what I was saying earlier, that's because the trainers don't teach them that part of the, of their character. They don't teach them that part of their gimmick. They don't teach them that part of of, of uh, their persona. They they say, you know, who do you want to be like? And then there you go. I tell the guys the same thing. I don't. Well, I tell them compare yourself to somebody and pick little things that that guy does and make it your own. Don't copy. You know, like Shawn Michaels copied the super kick from Chris Adams. Yes. Chris Adams didn't stomp his feet first before he did it. He just kicked you. Sean added in stomping the foot and stopping the leg or whatever, and that made it his own. Then the Young Bucks, they just completely... <laughs> the super <laughs> kick party. Yeah, something turned into something else. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. If it doesn't work, then find something else to do. I'm going to give you an example. Nord the Barbarian. He used to have a gimmick like Bruce Brody did. Nobody bought him. There's only going to be only one Bruce Brody. Right. Okay. If you would have the opportunity of wrestling someone, Past era, this era, who would it be and why?
Chicago senior. Why? Chicago taught me a lot when I was coming into the business, and we did have one match. We had two matches with each other, but I was young and just listening. Now I'm older, and instead of listening and and doing everything he says, now I can contribute and take part in the match as well. It's not just one one guy, you know, do this, do that, do this, do that. I'm also a part of that match. We're almost done here. If you would have the opportunity to wrestle in one of the major promotions from around the world, which one would it be? Which one would you like to wrestle and why? Um, one of the major promotions, I, I would say New Japan, simply because I've never been to Japan. That's it. I mean, if it was one match, I've never been there. I've never, you know, uh, when I was coming in, you had to be very good to go to Japan. And I, I, I'm not, I have no problem telling anybody I was never invited to Japan. Now, if you buy your own plane ticket, <laughs> you can go anytime you, you could, want. You can go, you could go anywhere you want. That's true. But I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> and just, and, you know, now it's, I would, if I had one match, that'd be great, but I would try and spend a week there to learn, to bring back to my school, bring back more uh, knowledge, I guess, to my school. How you see yourself from here to 10 years from now? Um, in a wheelchair? No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't look... Uh, I don't look that far. I just... I, I take everything day to day You know, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't, you know, I mean, I just take it one day at a time. Okay, Mr. Gonzalez, it's been a wonderful interview. It's been knowledge for me because I learned a lot from history thanks to you. But Now, final words for your fans, your followers, and the Global Wrestling Podcast fans and followers from around the world. Final words? Yes. To <laughs> whatever fans I have out there, thank you for your support followers thank you for your support thank you for following me uh, for the wrestling fans just keep on watching and supporting what, what the guys do it may not be what you not everything is exactly what you like but that's somebody that's doing probably something he was asked to do he may not like it either but it's a job and he's doing whatever they're doing at the best of their abilities Uh, they've got families to feed. They got bills to pay. Uh, it, it does nobody any good to to uh, to uh, shit on them. For, excuse my language. Uh, if you if you if you like it, great. If you don't, that's what I do. It's not you know wrestling is not for everybody. Uh, all 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 uh, 
style isn't for everybody. There's different stuff for different people. Um, just support the business. Support wrestling. You know, do uh, do your part. Attend, especially the independents. The independents are today's territories. Uh, mm-hmm. So do your part, and you know, you can buy your fifty dollar, you know, raw ticket or SmackDown or AEW ticket, whatever. But also, more importantly. Really, more importantly, support the independent wrestling events around the country. WWE, AEW, Ring of Honor, all those guys, they have big money supporting those promotions. Independent wrestling, like myself, we don't. So we we offer a very valuable service to the talent. We give them ring time. We give them an opportunity to, to get in front of fans. Uh, we give the fans entertainment. Uh, and hopefully, possibly, these guys you see at your local BFW or Bingo Hall or Civic Center or whatever, you can you may eventually see them on TV. And there's nothing like we mentioned earlier. Nothing in the world seeing somebody who's just starting, struggling. You know, I see guys struggling for gas money. Uh, and then seeing them on TV, that's a whole different level of uh, support, uh, excitement, uh, being proud of somebody. Um, that's that you know. And then and then the guys that reach those goals, you know, I can't I can't speak for everybody. I just know that you know I can only speak for myself when I reach those levels. Uh, I had to I had to take a couple minutes alone and just cry just you know it's emotion because you work so hard and you have no idea where nobody knows you have no idea where this road is leading to it could lead to nowhere you don't know that but when you walk out into the ring and you look out and there's 10,000 5,000 15,000 people and cameras and you're on YouTube you're on you know, whatever. You know, it may not be a contract, but it's an achievement. And it's something that you can be proud of. And it's something that, as fans, you can say, man, I, I remember that guy when... I, I get a lot of people now that say, I remember Brian Danielson when he wrestled at the blah, 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 wherever, and there were 30 people there. And now Brian Danielson is like one of the biggest names in the business. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, for wrestling fans, man, just support what we do. Support the independents, support the big companies, but more importantly, support the independents. That's where it all starts. And there's a lot of stories out there. There's people that are struggling. There's guys that are, you know, there's 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 guys and girls that are that are leaving their families behind to chase a dream that <laughs> no one's promised you anything. You That's know? true. They're just taking a gamble. They're just, you know. You may wake up the next day and go to work. They wake up the next day and they have to figure out, you know, what they're going to do next, you know. So wrestling fans, just support the business, support support the independents. Well, Mr. Gonzalez, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for the opportunity. Because I got to say like this, it's an opportunity. Our learning process because Global Wrestling Podcast only have two years. We are, oh, we 
We're babies. We're crawling. And I have an individual of your caliber is an achievement for us. Thank you. God bless you. Hey, who knows if from here to a year ago, you're back in Global Wrestling Podcast. Never know. Never know. And on my end, thank you for having me on. I, I did stuff like this means a lot to me because you didn't have to have me on your podcast for two hours. You could have had somebody else like, I don't know, Jake the Snake or somebody. I'm just, I'm just, a, I'm just a regular guy. I'm just a guy trying to run a wrestling school and, and, and uh, help, help people out. So I, I more than anything appreciate the opportunity you're giving me to be on your program. Thank you very much. Well, fans, next, or my next interview, it's a man that you know by the name El Corsario. He wrestled down in Texas as El Corsario. You don't know what I'm talking about? Well, in Puerto Rico, they know him as El Hombre Dinamita, or TNT. Well, in WWE, they knew him as Sabio Vega. He's going to be our next visitor right here in Glow Wrestling Podcast interviews. Well, English version is interviews, but in Spanish is Sin Censura. Well, fans, our next interview will be with Sabio Vega. Hey, it's been a wonderful almost two hours to be with one of the greatest teachers in the business, one of the best promoters, and in his days, one of the best wrestlers ever to, pair, to put a pair of books. Mr. Rudy Boy Gonzalez, thank you. God bless you, sir. Have a nice evening. So long, sir. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you.